On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses the Fish album, Sunsets on Empire. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Tom Corcoran and Paul Zotter as we continue in the Fish catalog covering Sunsets on Empire. All right, gentlemen, welcome to the Palaver this evening, where we get, uh, not only do we continue our Fish solo catalog, but we get a little bit of a bonus Stephen Wilson album tonight, which is utterly spectacular. Yes. This is a funny record. I can remember, for some reason, I've always had this record. And in fact, if I look at it, yeah, I've I've actually got the the original Dick Brothers version which means I would have purchased it presumably around the time of its release. Again, not exactly sure how I managed that, but it looks like I did. And that will come into play when we get into the particulars for this record. This and the first two were like the cornerstones of my fish experience. Always, you know, I as I filled in the rest of the catalog around them, but it was it was those three albums that that really did it for me. And and I can assure you at the time I had zero clue who the hell Stephen Wilson was. And with my notoriously terrible memory anyway, and you guys may recall the the humor several months ago when I rediscovered that Stephen Wilson did this. And I'm like, did we know about this? And you're like, yes, we, we knew about it, Joe. I have subsequently remembered that I knew about it, but be that as it may. At the time, no idea who Stephen Wilson was, no idea why this record would have been important. But what is important is somewhere around the early days of the palaver. So would have been 2017, maybe 2018. I got into a little bit of a fish thing and I had posed the question in the group text as to which album was better, Internal Exile or Sunsets on Empire. And I remember at the time being soundly booed out of the room for suggesting such a blasphemous idea which you know now seems kind of funny. What was the answer? We were all we were all just the the idea that Sunsets on Empire was somehow a subpar album is generally how oh. I recall it. Okay. And and, <laughs> and so I felt bad. I'm like, did I miss something here? What what's and and so I I sort of carried around this this repressed guilt for liking this album. However, and again, as is my normal method when we're preparing for an episode, I will, you know, presumably I have the CD usually. If I don't, I'll listen on my phone. But I, I tend to listen a lot in the car, sort of back and forth. But sometime in the, the day or two or three before an episode, I will sit down for the serious listen where I take all my notes and do everything else. And so I'm happy to say that last night was the first time that I had one of my serious listens on my new stereo setup that is upstairs in my house, which has the, the bigger floor speakers and, and my vintage Carver amplifier. And it was absolutely delightful. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I... 
I, I mean, I've listened to a bunch of stuff on there, but I honestly, it's it's the first time that I've I've sat in the couch in that room and just sat there and and had you know had a music listening experience, and it was delightful from the equipment side as well as the album side. And while hopefully we'll get into this. You know, when we talk about lyrics and subject matter, there are a couple of things that make me feel a little uneasy on this record, maybe because I don't understand them, but they seem uh, maybe not quite where I want them to be. Musically, I think this is the bee's knees. I think this album is just, for me, this is the best Fish album. I, I just think it's it's absolutely brilliant. And it's funny between... and. You know, the other part of this is I am woefully uninformed about Porcupine Tree, which embarrasses me. But I am rather well informed about Stephen Wilson's solo as well as Blackfield. And so triangulating the Stephen Wilson solo catalog, Blackfield, and this, it's interesting how Stephen Wilson will manifest himself, you know, outside of Stephen Wilson. And, you know, it, it's just, it's fascinating. And, and as I was listening to this last night, you know, I had the little, the little picture that I sent you guys of, of who's doing what. And, and Stephen Wilson, generally speaking, is not like, you know, interjecting himself everywhere on this. A lot of it is, uh, is, is keyboards and a little bit of guitar and things like that. But just his, his production style will also pop up. You know, if, if you're looking for it, I think there, you know, there are Stephen Wilson marks everywhere on this record. And now that I'm in a position where I know and I love Stephen Wilson, I love this album even more. So, Joe, you bring up this conversation that we had a few years ago. Honestly, I don't recall exactly how it went, but I'm sure I was to blame because <laughs> I often step on my own when we, we have these sort of chats. And so um, I don't remember what I had said because I've always loved this album. I don't know if it is at the moment my favorite album. Probably right now it's Feast of Consequences. I probably have more history with this album than any other Fish album. I had it pretty much when it came out. I can't remember actually buying it. I can't remember like the, the moment I, I bought it, which is sort of strange because I, I normally can remember that sort of thing. I remember taking to this instantly and that doesn't always happen with fish fish solo albums yeah and I, I really took to this i took to the eclectic instrumentation you know parts with like harmonicas and like string sections that are have counter melodies you know, you know a lot of times when people add string sections they're just like these washes of strings and you're just like okay it's nice but i, I liked actually really hearing things yeah a production that wasn't afraid to minimalize something. And often when you minimalize something, it comes out more. And so I, I was really inspired by that. I think this is Fish's best era as far as his vocals go. I love yes. the sort of half singing, half talking. Like sometimes I'm not talking about when he's like straight up, you know, talking, I'm talking. Yeah. Sometimes he sort of like does that in between thing mm -hmm. and it's just, it's so rich and it's just, it's so heartfelt. I, uh, and there's, when we go through the songs, I, I'll bring it up more, but there's a certain style that I really took to. And there's just a number of songs I, I really took to. So I'm with you, Joe. I did not know that Stephen Wilson did anything on this until you brought it up. 
I think Paul and Ken probably knew it, but I, I did not. <laughs> so I, I was like, oh, okay, cool. So but, what's, um, you know, when we were doing the Stephen Wilson catalog, I definitely wasn't a tune. I don't even think we talked about it then, Joe, that, you know, in all of the things that he did, I don't think we even brought up that he wrote an album with Fish. Yeah, no, I'm sure we did. Um, and as I know you guys have pointed out, at least I think you have joked a couple of times that I'm somewhat, I'm not sure what the word you use, dismissive of the Fish catalog or <laughs> or just un, very unemotionally attached to the Fish catalog, right? And and it's because, you know, there's a, there's most of the albums I don't spend a lot of time listening to, this one included. So many, 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 many weeks ago, way before, I think we were just talking about doing this. We were probably still probably in whatever band we were doing a couple couple segments before this. I started pulling out Fish to listen to and also getting excited for Weltschmerz to come out. And I popped this one in because of the album cover. I thought, ah, oh, this 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 would be a good one to listen to. And I was just listening to my phone. And not too long into the album, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, damn, this is way different than what I'm thinking about Fish. And so I pulled up the wikis and I was like, holy crap, Stephen Wilson. That's unbelievable. That makes so much sense. Musically, this is the strongest compliment to Fish's songs and lyrics throughout. I don't know if it's my favorite Fish album, but it's definitely like musically, like it has the right, uh, right little sort of combination of like the post progressive classic rock and there's a little bit of of that like English, like ecstasy, yeah, uh, shift off the Beatles kind of thing, that I think really just complements what Fish is doing lyrically and vocally. I think the two things fit together like a glove. And what's interesting is that like if you think about, you know, Stephen Wilson was fucking around with Porcupine Tree for years, yeah. So he's still basically fucking around you know, with whatever he was working on. And this is a good, what, four or five years before In Abstentia, right. which is really, for most most parties, the Hallmark Porcupine Tree album that sort of thrusts them, if you don't mind me coining the phrase, Joe, the tumblers start to fall <laughs> in uh, in the world of Stephen Wilson. So, like, he's not, it's, he's certainly not a household name, and it's certainly not a shock that the album or the tour would flop because he just doesn't have the gravitas that he has now. It's it's hard to imagine if, right, if he would do something like this now, what what it would be like. So this was what a full ten years before we saw Porcupine Tree in the Netherlands, which was a couple years after In Absentia. So I, I don't know. I think it's amazing, and I wish I wish I had my lore game to know exactly how this came about because you know what I've heard on other podcasts suggests that you know Stephen Wilson apparently decided that this was something that he should do. So he did it. And I think it's it's a wonderful album that comes out from this. I remember hearing an interview with Fish, or maybe reading one, and he basically just said all the... I think it was about the Veltschmerz, and he talked about all the different ways he had done albums before. He mentioned this one. He was like, yeah, you know, Sunset and Empire with Stephen Wilson, and he would just write shit and it was like great and he would be like it was awesome he was like i'd love to do that again <laughs> yeah i bet he would absolutely so so paul since since ken's not here tonight are are you willing to play the uh 
the context role and and talk about the timeline of progressive rock or would you like me to do that since i have it pulled up i'd be happy to do it i also have it pulled up you know ken usually gives us the decade before i'm not sure when was the last fish album before this one so it was may of 1994 okay so let's just pick it up at 1996 shall we okay um alex lyson releases victor his uh only solo album great stuff and then just a little bit later Everybody's favorite, Test for Echo by Rush. Hmm. Um, Opeth uh, released uh, Morning Rise in 96. Tool released Enema, which was a pretty big one. As I mentioned, Porcupine Tree with Signify. Yes releases Keys to Ascension. Hmm. I'm going to say that was Keys to Ascension 1. I would say so. Yeah. And... uh, uh, you know, we have some uh, Steve Hackett does his first, gen- or maybe not his first, his Genesis Revisited. IQ releases Forever Live, Steve Howe, Homebrew. So there's a lot of the regular customers getting involved in the releases in 96. And um, 97 has the onerous beginning of Queensryche's Here in the Now Frontier. Oh, what a wonderful album cover that was. Yes, the album cover and the album itself. That was that was their first of their, uh, how shall I describe it, lo-fi recordings? Well, it was definitely yep. the last album with Chris Garma. Yeah, but I mean, if you think about the, the, the production arc, and this is a total aside, of Queensryche from, from Rage through Mindcrime through Empire to Promised Land, it was increasingly slick and beautiful production and then suddenly it sounded like they were recording in someone's garage on a four track i think they were it was chris DeGarmo's garage and i think it was a eight track they definitely went more organic with here organic in the now that's a polite way to say it yes yeah yeah um but that was also kind of where we were in the 97 you know yeah if you think about you know the 90s pretty much sucked for me at least and <laughs> That's kind of what everybody had gone through that phase of, you know, big, big, big 80s, early 90s. Let's just make it bigger. I feel like we peaked. And I don't necessarily mean peaked in a good way. Everybody has their own opinion about this. But like the Metallica Black album Mm. sort of like closed the book on how big can you get. That's what she said. Ah. Um, But... And so then, you know, we started with the grunge movement and everything kind of went organic and like lo-fi, like you said, Joe, I like that. I like that term. So I feel like, you know, that's kind of where we are. Frank Zappa, Have I Offended Someone in April of 97, Magellan and of Flower Kings mm. come out with Stardust We Are. And then here's some interesting thing. Fish releases Sunsets on Empire, May 1997, right... Uh, and he, uh, right, followed by Radiohead's OK Computer, which pretty much overshadowed every single thing I just talked about in the world of progressive rock, including the July 1997 release, This Strange Engine. Mm. And even the September 1997 release, Calling All Stations. So it's a very interesting time. And I have to say... I was right on par with Calling All Stations, This Strange Engine. I love that album. Mm -hmm. And even here in the Now Frontier, spent a great deal of time 
in my CD player, but somehow in its contemporary form, Sunsets on Empire did not. There you go. So the particulars for the album, Sunsets on Empire, as Paul mentioned, released in May of 1997 and released on the label Dick Brothers Record Company, produced by Stephen Wilson. I will give a little aside here. My physical copy of the CD indicates, uh, interestingly, that the vocal sessions were produced by one Avril McIntosh. Not quite sure what that has to do with anything. Personnel include Fish on lead vocals, Stephen Wilson on guitars and keyboards, Foss Patterson on Hammond, piano, keyboards, and backing vocals, Ewan Vernal on bass, Dave Stewart on drums, Robin Bolt and Frank Usher on guitars, Dave Haswell on percussion, Chris Gaw on cello, Brian Hale, violin, Martin Bennett, violin, Terrence Jones, French horn, um, Fraser Spires, um, harmonica, Doc, the voice on Brother 52, and backing vocals uh, courtesy of Lorna Bannon, Catherine Garrett, Don Jack, Chris Thompson, and Annie McCraig. The track listing for this album, which lasts um, a crisp 61 minutes and four seconds, is The Perception of Johnny Punter, Goldfish and Clowns, Change of Heart, What Color is God, Tara, Jungle Ride, Worm in a Bottle, Brother 52, Sunsets on Empire, and Say It with Flowers. And there is a bonus track on the Japanese and remastered versions, which I have not heard, and that is Do Not Walk Outside This Area. Sunsets on Empire is a studio album by Fish, the fourth with original material since he left Marillion in 1988. It was mostly written together with Stephen Wilson of Porcupine Tree, who co-composed six out of ten tracks on the original version, plus one bonus track on the Japanese and remastered edition, and also produced the album. Tim Bonus, uh, Wilson's partner in No Man, has additional writing credits on one track. Two permanent members of Fish's lineup, keyboardist Foster Patterson and guitarist Robin Bolt, co-wrote one and two tracks, respectively. Unfortunately, the album and tour were flops and lost Fish hundreds of thousands of pounds, which meant he had to fold his Dick Brothers label. Roadrunner and Chocolate Frog slash Snapper would subsequently reissue the album. So there you go. This is the album that single-handedly ruined Fish's record label. How sad is that? <laughs> I have to say I'm, I'm I'm pretty surprised. Certainly, if you look at Suits compared to this, it is not merely the album that this is. In this time, you know, we're still in the very early years of not necessarily the internet, but you know, marketing on the internet, and bands are still trying to figure out how to utilize things with regards to the internet. And I don't know if this would be one of the reasons because it's so early, but I, I think that you know, Marillion in particular was a lot more successful. I and mean, we've talked about this before. And with regards to like Racket Records, you know, we, we've all gotten like a zillion of those emails from Racket Records about trying to sell us you know, X, Y, and Z off their catalog. And, you know, to their credit, you know, they actually made more living because they were working on the business end of things. So I don't know if that particularly had to do with this. It just, it, it wasn't the music because I mean, this is by far yeah. a, a better yeah. album than 
that certainly suits. It's interesting to sort of hear how a tour flops. And I think it had more to do with the business end of things. It's unfortunate because, you know, Stephen Wilson is a major talent. And I think that he really helped a lot of these songs come to life in a way that we haven't heard Fish. So it's an interesting discussion to sort of find out exactly what happened here. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I, I suspect that your observations are, or suspicions are probably correct, Tom, because, you know, and, and just think about the fact that I bought this in 1997, presumably. I can guarantee you that I did not stumble across Suits, um, which I just sent you guys a wonderful picture from the, the booklet inside of Suits that just makes me laugh every time I see it. It's been on my uh, on my dresser in my room for about uh, about a week now. I was holding it off until we, we get ready to publish notes on that, but it just, it makes me laugh. Um, I can guarantee you I didn't buy Suits when it came out. I didn't even know Suits existed until I went back later on. Something must have been done to get this CD in places where someone like me would find it, right? And I guess May of 1997, that would have been, well, I would have been here. So, yeah, and it got to me in Texas, of all places. So, yeah, they must have been doing something, but, and, and you're absolutely right, Tom, this was, you know, in the era where the, the business model was, was changing, and it seems like maybe Fish didn't have the right business people, and there are many tales of tours going awry with with poor decisions as well i remember getting i remember the night i bought the strange engine and it was pretty late it was a a significant amount of time after the album had already come out and so to your point joe however they got the album into the store that i was at it was not a quick a quick thing and this was around the time that Marillion was starting to suffer from, you know, like you said, Tom, what, even though it seems like they were more successful, you know, they were suffering from labels just like paying them a lump sum for the album and, you know, sorry, that's it. And, you know, they were scrounging together pennies. I don't remember if this strange engine was the tour that Marillion had fans fund them come to the United States or if that was, if that was later. But I want to say, Tom, that this would have been the tour. These two albums would have been the time that you saw Marillion and Fish. Back to back. Back to back. Do you remember what year that was? Yeah, well, it was it was 98. I mean, it was... Okay, um, yeah. So this would have yeah, been the tour. Yeah, I remember, yeah. You would have seen yeah, I, the Sunsets on Empire tour. Well, it was actually... No, I, correct you. It was, it was 97. It's crazy how these things go because... I would love to to talk to more people about this because when you think about it, Marillion and Fish were doing both putting out albums at this time, both touring the United States, coming into you know earshots of each other on on the on these tours. I wanted to I want to say that this was the last time Marillion toured. The United States, and the only reason they did it was because the fans had put together a fund, and they scheduled shows in the U.S. Because I don't remember them touring after this. I remember. Well, no, I, think I actually that, saw them at the House of Blues a couple years later. For, uh, did for you? Moment. Okay, so maybe that was the tour. So, when we talk about this record, though, 
And and maybe Paul, you know, you're notorious for not really paying that close attention to lyrics, anyway. But there are a couple of tracks on here that make me a little edgy. Did anyone else pick up on that? Even even before we get there, there's there's something else that I, I need to point out while we're talking about bad business decisions. I apologize. Ah. The singles from this record, there were two. Brother 52 was the first one. And Change of Heart was the second one. Now, Brother 52 is one of those songs that certainly in today's culture fills me with a little bit of unease. Um, and, and I'm guessing that there is a tremendous story behind the, the person, Doc, who is featured in this. But it, it just seems unusual. It, it's not the sort of thing that I would have anticipated uh, hearing. And, and, and musically, it's great. And I love the way it's put together. I'm uncomfortable, honestly, because I don't understand exactly what the intention here is. I feel that way about the first song, which... The, the, are, are we the perception now? of Johnny Punter. Yes, that is yeah. that is the the other one that that makes me makes me a little so, uneasy. And it, it you so know. Joe, are you going to start off with uh, reading some lyrics from the from the first? Uh... I am not going to start off by reading some <laughs> lyrics from from the first song. <laughs> Just looking at them makes me tense up a little bit, and and it's one of those things. It's almost like you know the the. The conversation we had around the wall, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, Roger Waters in the character of of Pink at that point, you know, says some pretty horrific things, and you know, I think it's it's pretty clear that that Roger uses some of those some of that language intentionally to provoke thought, and I I, I personally don't have the impression that that Roger Waters himself feels that way necessarily. Um, but when you see lyrics like this or hear them, it's a little jarring. And and quite frankly, you know, and, and there's a lot of the, the the lyrics on this album, right? And and Tom, to your point, you know, there have been Marillion and Fish albums where I've started out just gushing over the lyrics and reading the lyrics and, and reciting them as as poetry. Musically, I love this. L- vocally, I love this record. But I'll be honest, I, in all these years, I've never made a whole lot of sense out of a lot of these lyrics on this record. So I don't know if yeah. that's my failing or what. Well, if we're talking about Brother 52, we'll get to that later. Yeah. I can almost, I have, I guess, a defense as to why, you know, that is. So if we're digging into the particulars now with the yeah we can the go, songs we can go track by track um, I, I I have struggled with this first song guys I mean I I I've always loved it I always loved the sort of softer Zeppelin thing going on and I I loved his phrasing I loved Fish's rhythm with the lyrics lyric by lyric there's there's always like something that catches me and I like I've always liked it. Um, but I, there are certain things that I can't put together why they are. And um, it's hard to talk about this first song without talking about the first couple lines here. Yeah. And yeah. it's pretty brutal stuff. And I, I don't think for a second that, you know, Fish is you know racist or anything like that. But I, I'm sure he's just getting a certain point across. I just don't qu- quite know what it is. And I, I was fixed on this, guys, because I... I really, 
I was sort of scared about myself, the fact that I had been loving the song for years and not really, <laughs> and just sort of blindly like singing along to things. And I'm like, well, yeah, here I am. Like, you know, I'm going to be talking about this in a few days. And I, I still don't know what the hell the song is about. Pretty racy stuff. There are three elements to this that I can't put together. There's the first verse, right. which is, let's just call it explicit. And then there's the verses, which sort of give you an overall theme of what this is. And then there's the spoken word part that I always found interesting because you know, he talks about, you know, he looks up on the hills and he's, and the, the people are looking at the fire, looking at, you know, when mm-hmm. they're turned for the visit. I, I think I think the, the key lyrically is at the end of the song, because I think what we have going on here is a shifting of perspective in the sections that you're mm-hmm. talking about, Tom. Uh-huh. And so if we, if we look at the, I guess it's the last verse, just another village burning in the hills. I saw it on the TV, just another thrill. Someone else's problems, someone else's grief, someone else's children living on the planet. We are in another world living on the planet. We are in another world living on the planet. We are, we are. It's just one of those places that never exist till you've been there. It's just one of those things that you never will see till you wake up. And you know that somewhere there's somebody that's out there who thinks like you do. And you hope that today is the day that it's all going to happen for you. So it sounds to me like, it, and based on what you said, so the first parts that make us all squeezy and uncomfortable presumably is is the description of atrocities which people certain people can experience at a distance through their TV or whatever um, but when you when you look at that um, you know I think what what he's trying to say is that you know it it's all fun and games until you know they show up at your door and and the shit gets real. And, and if he was talking about the Balkans, because, you know, and I have very vague recollections of that, but I remember that was a complete and utter shit show with regards to that. So he's not even talking about what I would call, quote unquote, normal American type violence. He's talking about, you know, catastrophic societal decay type violence. I, I'm kind of with you on all of that, Joe. I, I Despite my penchant for ignoring lyrics it's pretty hard to ignore the first stanza when you're listening to this uh no matter what you're doing um you're just kind of like at least i was kind of like huh what (laughs) exactly (laughs) um but i think it's at first it's jarring and it's it's like what is going on but i think you know in the context of everything that you just described joe i that's that's sort of my take on it right like you know i mean he's an equal opportunity offender here like he basically takes every ethnic slur and throws it at you. And I think it does, it, it's sort of a way of saying that no matter who you are, you can look at this from a distance with, from a, any specific point of view and just be like, yeah, yeah, those people aren't human. Those people aren't human. Those people, ah, we don't, I don't like those people. And from a distance, it becomes just the world that we live in and why should I care? And this isn't really a problem until it comes knocking on your door. I don't think he executes it quite as clearly or as 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 well as say like amnesia from toe of the wet sprocket yeah although you could make the argument that that's a little bit just you know 
in your face. Like, you know, how could you miss it? While it doesn't come together in a nice bow, it's very cool. And I think that's probably why we all have an affinity for it. It's like with the music and with the way that the lyrics are delivered and the spoken word, it really comes through. And I think it's extremely poignant for like literally the actual day that we're recording this, right? With the events of the news and what we've lived through in the last year, where, you know, at least myself, I've experienced trying to explain to my kids that, you know, just because everything that they see on their phone and their TV says one thing doesn't necessarily mean that that's not the way it is, right? Yeah, yeah it's funny. I had I had a similar conversation with my boys at dinner tonight as well. So, But I think, you know, Paul, you're absolutely right in the fact that, you know, Fish has never shied away from, again, trying to make you look at uncomfortable things. So I don't know that we should be surprised here. But musically, this is just... I, I find... I find this song musically to be utterly delightful because it really illustrates how Stephen is going to approach this this album as a whole with with the layering and 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 the parts and I think Tom this was I think this was a point that you were talking about a little bit earlier where you know maybe the individual parts themselves are are sort of minimal but when you start to to layer them on top of each other, you know something magical really starts to happen, and you can you can hear this. And Stephen Wilson, based on on the the work we did on on his catalog, and again what I know from from the Blackfield catalog, is you know he is very adept at creating these things. And it, it's funny. So part of main part of my job is I, I make slide decks. That's that's what I do. And <laughs> it's all I've fucking done for like the last week and a half. <laughs> the frustrating thing for me is that I am absolutely artistically challenged. I can't create something visual that is appealing. It just my brain doesn't work that way. And it was it was actually very funny because this this literally happened this afternoon. I was I was in a meeting with a colleague of mine. We were having a one-on-one and talking about this slide deck. And I said, you know, I want to represent this graphically. And I said, I I literally can't do it. And she said, yeah, I can't do it either. And the funny thing was, between her and I bouncing back and forth, she actually, you know, she was looking around and she's like, oh, well, what if we did this? And we did that. And I'm like, oh. And, and then, you know, it just started sort of building off each other. And I actually came up with something that I think is really pretty good. So um, it's possible for for me to do that. But but Stephen Wilson seems to just have this innate ability to do this. Just some general notes that I have as I was listening to this again on my my absolutely wonderful current stereo system. Musically, it's it's pretty heavy, heavier than you would normally hear Fish be. But Stephen's wonderful about utilizing different guitar tones. So, for instance, when the arpeggiated guitar kind of comes in, it has a, a slightly higher tone to it that is... I just think it's absolutely wonderful and it's in great contrast with the with the riff tone that's sitting underneath it. The vocals and and that's the reason why I brought up the the Avril McIntosh note on the CD because I think Fish's vocals on this record across the board sound phenomenal. I think mm-hmm. I think he just really sounds great. And when you talk about the the guitar solo, right? The the guitar solo in this, it will sort of 
and, and this is my perception, tell me if I have this wrong, but it kind of, it weaves in and out and around the vocal melody. Like it'll kind of come in and play the vocal melody for a little bit, then it'll go out and, and do some other stuff, which I just think is absolutely magical when you get sort of glimpses of that that central melody, but it, it kind of goes off again. And the, the spoken word part, I mean, so we're getting everything right in mm. this first six minutes, right? Because the spoken word, whatever you think about it, his delivery there and the, the timber of his voice is absolutely magical. And then as if that's not good enough. And Tom, you brought this up as well. On the back half of this, when those strings come in, and, and it's just like, where the hell did this come from? But damn, I'm glad it did. So, I mean, like every every trick in the book almost gets put on you from the in this first song. But it's so fucking wonderful. I don't care. I agree with all of that. The arpeggiated stuff where he layers in like an acoustic guitar over top the electric and it's super loud. It gives you that wonderful mix. It is so late 70 or late uh 90s production to a perfection it's terrific and i i agree with you i think that the spoken word like his vocals sound great in this whole album but the spoken word on this song and and this album are the best that they ever are i think yeah and as, as far as sounding wise right? yeah if the style of the song happens to be where what he's saying is lower in the mix it's still okay because it seems like whenever he does this, he always has a, such a, a really cool music section. <laughs> he has something really eclectic going on. If you can't hear what's going on, you're still okay with it. You're just, cause you're going with it. Right. On this one, his vocals are a little higher and you're definitely with him. That's why I brought this up earlier, you know, with the fire and, and all that. And so you're, you're really kind of going, okay, where is this going? And this is after that great guitar solo. I said this um, in the some of the earlier Marillion albums where there are a lot of different sections that come in. And as a whole, sometimes you don't, you, you say to yourself, wow, I don't know if this worked as a whole, but as it's happening, you're just loving it. Right. And it's just sort of like going on a roller coaster. You're like, wow, I haven't really heard this type of thing before and I'm really enjoying it. And I, I think that this is one of those examples. I've never listened to this first song and, and said, you know what? I don't know about this album. It's, it's always, I'm always like in it and yeah. I'm always excited. <laughs> my sort of blood is pumping, my heart's racing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, this is great. So I, I think that, um, you know, there are many props to, you know, both Fish and Stephen Wilson and, you know, Everyone. I mean, everyone who plays on this album because it's, it actually works really well. So, uh, yeah, I think that good, provocative, thought-provoking lyrics will always make you ask questions. And I think I agree with Paul when he said that I don't know if lyrically the whole gist of the song totally came together. But as a song, I'm still so excited about it. I'm, I'm able to sort of look the other way with some of my lack of understanding of it. Outstanding. Which moves us into Goldfish and Clowns. And, you know, here again, the the way that, that this song is built, right? Because you get... You get that sort of plinky piano with, with, the, with the guitar underneath it. 
and um, you know, you got you got those kind of like wonderful guitar licks, and then then they bring in the bass, you know, and then the keys, and everything just sort of starts to to come down, almost like putting folding pages on top of each other to show the full picture. I just find it amazing the way that all of that comes together, and and, and again. Fish's vocals on this song particularly, they just sound awesome. And musically, it's it's incredibly rich throughout. You've got that that piano and organ bit, right? You know, again, they're they're kind of weaving in and out of each other. And and the use of organ on this is, I think, delightful because it's not it's not a bludgeon, it's not there all the time, but when it comes in, you're like, oh yeah, I like that. I, I find this song to be utterly delightful. It's so tasteful that it's called Goldfish and Clowns and not What is the Difference? Yeah, you think, right. It's, it's very um, artsy. It's it's tasteful. I love that one hit that you mentioned on the piano. I think it's it's one of the things that Fish does very well. It, it's sort of like hauntingly beautiful where right. it's something, there's something disconcerting about it. But once you bring in everything, it turns into beauty and it sort of makes you go on a ride again. Like you're not quite sure where it's going. And I think that's, that's one of the things that excites me about Fish's solo stuff is because he's not afraid to take those chances. And a lot of these chances turn out to be something remarkable and, 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 and something new that you, that you haven't heard. So I, and it's so simple too. I mean, he's just hitting one note there on the piano. So as far as, Earlier when I said I liked Fish's style of like half talking, half singing, this is one of those examples, yeah. especially mm-hmm. when it's off. And it's just, it's so rich and grainy and um, it's just, you're just really there where you're supposed to be. And I feel that Fish really finds himself. I know we've talked endlessly about <laughs> sometimes Fish's vocals work, sometimes they don't. And it's, you know, sometimes there's a, there's a question, but I think this is, such a wonderful place with these vocals and how he sounds it's, it's sort of like the perfect fish sound for me and then we have gone into other areas where i think the production has tried to do things that were a little too polished yeah and when we get there things sound a little strained a little pushed fish does not have a polished voice and so when you have a very polished I'm going to say more of a standard production and you put fish in there, it doesn't always lock in the way it's supposed to. And I think this is like the magic equation. And I feel that with a lot of things that are going on, his, his voice really, really comes to life and you're really brought into what's going on. So uh, I, this is a this is another great one for me. And you talk about the the half singing, half speaking type thing. An issue that I think I have with later Fish catalog is, I think he's got a little too much talking and not quite enough singing in that mixture later on. But but here I, I agree, it's it's a great sort of balance that is struck. The only thing that I could add would just be redundant upon what you have said already. Um, <laughs> I mean, the sound of this, it, 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 when I listen to this song, when, I, when I'm not lost in the joy of listening to this song, I fantasize what other fish and even songs from Clutching at Straws would sound like had they been mixed and produced and 
in this fashion, which I know might be sacrilege for clutching at straws fans, but it sounds so good. It really know? does. It's ridiculous. And it transmits the proper emotional feeling of the song without being overly dark, right? Right. Yeah. And extra moody. It's just a presentation of it's perfect. I, it, it sounds great. And I think that that sort of leads into into the next song, Change of Heart. I did write some stuff after that, but, but the first note that I literally wrote down is, I have nothing to write, but I love this. And what I wrote after that basically is that the, the bass and the slide guitar here are, are very tasty, but I enjoy this song. You know, I, this whole album, I get into it and I'm just in a groove and I'm just going down the groove and there are high points and there are points that I'm just in the groove. There aren't really any any significant low points for me, but change of heart, I mean, it's... I like it when I when I'm listening to it. I'm in the moment and I'm having fun. It doesn't charge my batteries like the next song's going to, for instance. So, mm. you know, I, I I just don't honestly have a lot to say about it. But that's not necessarily a criticism. Change of heart. Uh, I feel similar to you, Joe. But just today, I was listening to this and I was closing my eyes and I was like, wow, this song reminds me the melody the simplicity of it and the innocence of it reminds me of like a schoolhouse rocks song <laughs> like it, it really it's sort of simple it's like the melody it's almost like a melody that you've heard you feel like you've heard before and it's sort of like it could be like a children's song yeah but like i love schoolhouse rocks i mean i guess you know who doesn't but without you know talking about numbers and you know history and all that it's sort of it has an innocence to it, and it does Fish have an innocence a, to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fish isn't afraid to just do something simple like that. It might get criticized by some of us sometimes for being too simple, but um, I think you know a song like this works, and it's a beautiful message. Like you said, Joe, it, it does the job. I feel like I love the uh, the sound of the acoustic guitar. I feel like at the end of Seal's uh, Fast Changes, mm. there's a cool little progression. And I feel like they've just basically took those like two chords and based this whole song off of it. And I like it. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's just for whatever reason, that's that's where like I'm reminiscent of that song when I when I listen to Change of Heart. If I'm being honest, the melody of the chorus is a little bit too... Schoolhouse rock for me, um, <laughs> but uh, it's it's a beautiful song. Which brings us to what color is God? Now, in my euphoria last night, you may have noticed that I sent a group text. Oh, and I did. I think for the purposes of of clarity, I shall read said text. I put down my my pen in the middle of making my notes, and I typed to my very best friends in the world. What color is God is raunchy in all the best ways. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, God. It's just the, the freaking guitars and the drums on this just do something special to my insides. The overall production of this song is utterly sublime. 
And, you know, this is now we start to bring in sound design elements. That's the one thing that Steven's kind of held in his back pocket, right? He hasn't brought this out for us yet. And now all of a sudden we have these these sound design elements. And it's not just in typical, I think, typical Stephen Wilson character. When he's going to do something, he's not going to do it from a single angle. So you've got, again, layering of these different sort of word snippets coming in that that really just add another dimension to the whole thing. One of the ones that always sticks out at me, and I, I kind of wait for it every time, is when when one of the people exclaims, a surplus of prosperity. And it's like, oh, yeah, all right, good. <laughs> yeah. and, and then, that's right, fish wraps. And it doesn't <laughs> suck. <laughs> right? So think about the roll the bones experiment. I was just going to uh, how, uh, how uh, fucking uh, terrible was that, right? This is fucking awesome. It is oh so much better than that. And and to hear fish in that sort of accent talk about the island patois is oh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Please give me more. It's so fucking good. It is. And I always want more. It's so funny. I'm like, when we get to, I'm like, literally every time, and I, I've listened to this album many, many times over, over 20 years, whenever I get to this point, I'm in awe. I'm like, this is badass. <laughs> I have to just like, just stop what I'm doing. And I just, I want to hear more. And luckily, you know, we never hear quite this, but you know, there's always stuff later in his catalog that he, he does all, almost as cool as this, but yeah. I mean, it sounds so good. <laughs> oh, this song is one of those songs that I heard when I first listened to it, you know, back in 97. And I was like, this to me is an example of close to what a perfect rock song is. Yeah. It gives you a good hook, but it gives you, depth in the lyrics and it gives you layered instrumentation and it gives you something that you don't expect but it takes you home you know it, it takes you to a enough of a commercial place when i first heard this i was like okay this is it this is the shit and i was um this was the first song that sort of cemented this album as being one of my favorites because this just gives you a lot it just it throws a lot at you and although fish does that a lot in his career he does it with a vengeance in this in this song and what this song does that um the perception of johnny punter doesn't do it gives you the message right we were talking about a lot of like what's you know happening today right talking about race and and things like that but it, it, he, he he puts a he puts it under an umbrella that you can understand again, not going back to the first song with the perception of Johnny Punter, as much as I love that song, he, he didn't quite do that yeah. in as good of a way as he could have. This one, what color is God is just, um, it comes together in my sort of jaded world. What I like and dislike, this is the epitome of a great rock song. And again, his voice sounds so good in the chorus when he screams what color is god he just he has that bite yeah he just has he has it's angry it's just like a 
a jagged knife just going through something. And it, it's just perfect to me. I just, every time I hear the song, I hear perfection. <laughs> so I, I, I can't say enough about this song. This to me is the bee's knees. I can't disagree with anything that you're saying, but I will say that for me, this is a little over the top. What? No. Um, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> a little over. But, what's over the top? Uh, I think a lot of a lot of things we're talking about. <laughs> um, but the the my favorite thing about this is it reminds me of you guys. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure who would be most likely to put this into one of their songs that that they were they would be writing. But the uh, why can't you tell me? Like on the on the like on, that's like it's either you or or Ken Tom. I'm not sure who would be more likely to put that in in one of their songs. But every time I hear that, I I think of you guys. I'm like this is this is the perfect song for us. I'm glad you brought that up because I oh I'm, I, I totally forgot to talk about that. I mean, how perfect is that? Yeah. I mean, those sort of backup vocals in the sort of like modern edgy song, and that to have those kind of like. Um, soulful vocals come in. I mean, he just brings everything. He just pulls everything out of the bag of tricks, you know, and like, it's just like the perfect, <laughs> it's like the perfect blend. And uh, uh, I don't know. It's just, I, oh, God, I love the song. Oh, I love it. It's so good. It's not even close to being over the top. <laughs> it's perfectly at the top. <laughs> but of course, you can't maintain that level of, of intensity, right? So you got to dial it back a little bit. And so we move on to the next song, Terra. And, and this is interesting. I remember once upon a time, I, 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 I wrote probably 80% of a song and I never finished it. But I had, um, I basically, I seem to recall, I had like a single note just repeating throughout the whole damn thing. And I remember, Paul, you tried to convince me that maybe that wasn't the best idea I ever had, and I should probably take it out every <laughs> once in a while. And I'm like, no, it's cool, man. It's cool. And, and I was I was yeah. reminded of that as I was listening to this last night. Because, again, listening in, in, in my upstairs environment was a different experience than I have normally had with this, not least of which because, A, it sounded better, and, B, I was sitting down and actually paying attention. But the, the bass drum in this drum programming is quite distracting when you're not distracted. It kind of like gets right up in your, your face constantly. And, and it's, mm. and, and and I found it a, a little off-putting. I'm like, wow, how have I never noticed that this is kind of annoying before? And and, <laughs> and I was reminded of, of, of that song that I was telling you about. But once the music comes in, it's the song itself is saved by the fact that that the music beyond that programmed kick drum is so atmospheric. It kind of dilutes that out a little bit and allows you to maybe not focus quite so much on that one sort of jarring aspect to the song. I've always been moved by the song, you know, even back before I, I had kids, you know, looking at his little girl singing this to her, just a, a beautiful lullaby. You know, I feel so damn old because I uh, even talking to you guys, talking when you talk about your just about adult sons who um, I can't believe we we, we have. I, I was going to say, um, you go even talking to you guys. We are old. What? Yeah, we are old. <laughs> but when this song came out, I'm living it through sort of the fish's 
eyes here, shoot the fish eye, looking at his daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I sort of pictured him looking down into a crib and singing this to her. The next thing you know, I'm listening to this song recently, and I'm like, God, that, that girl is like in her 20s now. <laughs> and this, to me, it almost seemed like this was... I mean, this is like years past Marillion. So I'm like, this always seemed like a newer fish album. And then, but next thing you know, you're, you're thinking of this little girl who he's singing about and she's in her, in her early twenties. And so it, it sort of always makes me feel a little old, much like most everything these days, but sort of getting back to the song, there's a point where he's singing in the morning. Oh Yeah. And the music underneath changes, but he still sings in the morning and it cadences. It's like this beautiful cadence in the chorus there. And it's so satisfying. He does it later in the song and he sort of holds it out more. And I'm just like, okay, get there, get there, holding, <laughs> holding, it, holding, it, holding. And he goes, in the morning. I'm like, oh, it's just, it's just wonderful. You know, we don't talk about poetry in the show because it's about music, but when you talk about like iambic pentameter and things like that in in poetry, different things that you do sort of are are meant to evoke certain emotion. And I think whatever he did here, I don't know if there's a, a term for it, but like he's sort of like you're sort of waiting for this moment. I guess the word would be cadence. But when he does it, then these beautiful string instruments come in. He sort of takes a ballad, scrambles everything up and puts it back in. And you're able to digest it in a way. I, I think it's a it's a really beautiful song. It, it is beautiful, and and if I may, I'd like to uh, I'd like to read the the last verse because I think for for me this sort of captures the the beautiful essence of this song. Certainly, from when you talk about from a, a parental perspective, I'll guard you from the monsters on the TV, from the pirates in the corners of your dreams. I'll keep you from the cold and safe from trolls, from the bad men while you play. I'll hunt for crocodiles and snakes with smiles. I'll keep them far away from your innocence in all its wonder. Oh, just reading that just makes me all warm and fuzzy. I'm glad you read that. It's just a beautiful way of putting it. You know, it's, it's so innocent. And it's of all the darkness that I love in music. I mean, I right. love yeah. very dark things. I still love hearing this. One would say, oh, because you're, you know, you're a parent, you're a father and all that. But like, I, I remember feeling the same way, even, you know, in 1997, I didn't have any kids. Now I was still sort of brought to this place. So I'm loving it. And it's interesting that such a beautiful sort of lullaby type song is tracked in between what color is God and Jungle Ride. <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's just like, oh. Okay. Yeah. And 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 the the amazing thing is again when I listen to this album I don't find that to be jarring or or odd in any way shape or form. When I'm in this album, I'm in this album and I'm just going and it all works. But when I'm not listening to it and I'm sitting here talking about it and sort of intellectually thinking about the tracking, it's like that on some levels doesn't make sense and yet it does. Yeah, and this isn't something that came easily to him because, if you, again, if you listen to the first couple albums, it's a little jumpy and mm-hmm. we've talked about it. But I think this is an album that gives us dynamics and it gives us like this sort of like robust ride. It does it in a way that it doesn't knock you off at every couple songs. Yeah, this is, this is a nice song. So 
Jungle Ride. Jungle um, Ride. Joe, whenever this song starts, I always am loving it. I, I love the spoken word and the this deep, rich vocal. There's so much going on here. And then the chorus comes in and just, just something, it stops me from loving the song. Really? And, and it's interesting because Ken brought it up a while ago that he loved the song. Ken and I sort of chide each other that we like the exact opposite things. <laughs> and it's, it's sort of like there's so many things in the song that make my hair stand up that I'm excited about. that give me goosebumps. I'm able to sort of overlook it. But for a while, this was sort of like my least favorite song on the album. But I, I didn't realize it until recently that it's just a chorus That's that sort of gets me. That's so funny because one of the notes that I have is that the vocal harmonies in the chorus are notable. I, I, I really kind of enjoy the way they have the, uh, the voices kind of interacting with each other. But it is decidedly different from the rest of it. I, you know, it's, I guess it's a preference thing, right? I, I, I just find this song overall to be fun. It's a rollick. It's a frolic. It's whatever you want to say. I mean, when we talk about going off to a cyber sex site in Chile, it just that makes me laugh every freaking time. I, I just, I, I it, it just, it kills me. And you know, the the way he builds the story, and you know, again, I, I I'm not going to pretend that I have any idea what the hell he's talking about, but I'm enjoying listening the whole time. And, you know, when you get the uh, – is this the first part on the album where we get the harmonica? I, you know, I absolutely yeah. love that. And oh, it, so it, do I. Oh, you know, the way it's used, and it really makes me think, oh, what was the song on To the Bone that had the harmonica that was just so freaking killer? I forget which, which track it was right now, but it, it makes me think of that. And – you know, there's there's a break, one one of the breaks here, and it sounds like there's a, there's a twelve string in there when it comes out of that that break, and then there's this pulsing bass underneath it. You're just like, oh, okay, that's great, and and that's all cool and all, and and you're thinking this can't get any better until like the very last break, and when it comes mm. out of that break, it just like the music is fucking huge, and you're like, yeah. oh. Okay, we'll do that. That's fine. So I, you know, I just love it. That harmonica breakdown, and this is an example of what I was trying to get at before. It seems like his vocals are a little lower, mm -hmm. and you can't really always tell what's going on. Yeah, but you just don't care. No. You're just like I'm loving what I'm hearing. Yeah, and it's just the perfect mix. And it's 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 great that you have someone like Stephen Wilson who is able to to take something and and say, okay, it's not about one thing. It's not about the vocal. It's not about any one instrument. And sort of come up with something that is really rich. And when th that section comes in, again, I have not heard a piece of music that sounds like this before. And I know that looking at it at a distance, there's a lot of risks that are taken. Maybe at the time they're not thinking of it, but they're just like, okay, this is just a cool thing to do. You know, there's just so many interesting music sections in here. And then just laid in with his, with his spoken words stuff that I just love. 
I'm just, I'm loving it. So Jungle Ride definitely saves itself uh, in my book. It saves I, itself. I, I love it. Well, you know, because again, the, the chorus, I always had a problem with it. Still, even though I was a little harsh on it in my thread with Ken, I'm, I'm still going to give this song a big two thumbs up. Oh, yeah. What did, <laughs> I've forgotten about that. What did, um, <laughs> so Ken told us, Jungle Ride is where Fish claims his inner Liam Neeson. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really understand what he was saying. I didn't quite get it. I'm assuming I'm talking out my ass because I've never seen the movie. But doesn't Liam Neeson have a, a series of movies where, like, someone gets kidnapped and he has to go all, like, badass on on people? Taken, and, yeah. It's, taken, it's yeah. And again, I don't. I honestly don't know. My exposure to Liam Neeson is is mostly through uh, through Qui Gon Jinn, but but I I think what Ken was going for was that sort of you know unhinged outside of the normal flow of of life <laughs> type thing um, that that Fish was sort of expressing a, a a different set of emotions than maybe we would normally hear. That's what that's how I took it. But we can certainly ask him to to clarify. Okay. It, it's interesting, right? Because when you when you talk about so Terra Jungle Ride and Worm in a Bottle, where we'll go next, are you know th- three of the of the tracks not written by Stephen Wilson, and they're kind of they're put together here in the middle of the album. But you know, again, Stephen Wilson being the the overall producer, I think he he produces these tracks in a way that is seamless and probably brings a certain amount of of animation to them that, you know, they might not have had otherwise. And I, I think that's interesting the way it comes together. But like I said, I just, I find Jungle Ride just to be, I, I think it's just fun. That's how I treat it. Fun is a good word for it. So that takes us to Worm in a Bottle. Now, this is, this is interesting because, you know, here again, you have it, what I find interesting about this is you have that constant drum pattern. It is very constant, but it works. It's a good drum pattern. It sounds great. And there's a solid bass line attached to it that sort of builds things in, in maybe a more traditional way. What really, really gets me here is on top of that sort of foundation is the guitar layering and the tones. All the guitars on this record, I think just sound absolutely wonderful. And I want to say, and I got to check my notes here on the next one. Yeah, I think it's it's actually on Brother 52, but you know, generally speaking, the overall guitar tones are great. And and you get into the solo and and it's one of those cases where you have sort of the interweaving of the of the guitar solo and the organ it just it's striking to me the way those two instruments interact in this solo section and i think it's absolutely great and then after that uh, according to my notes here there's sort of like another guitar line that comes in that's a lot higher up in the mix and it it just it really just ramps up everything for me and then as if that's not good enough you have that sort of random outro which is unexpected but very very cool when you go from a place like color is god and then what we're about to do like with brother 52 you would think that this song might be a throwaway song but it's not i'm brought into what fish is saying 
and what he's doing. And I like that, the dark organ. It's just a, a really interesting song. Like a lot of the songs on this album, he's able to bring you something you haven't heard before and introduce you to something. And that's hard to do with rock music, even in progressive rock. You know, he, he sort of brings in these new ways of, about doing things. And I think it goes back to the very beginning where he says, listen, I'm, I'm not a singer. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a poet. And he kind of goes from it from a different angle. I'm sure there would be some of us in the group that would disagree, but I, I think there are aspects of these, some of these solo albums that make it better that he doesn't have a band. I, I give Fish credit for letting things ride in, in a certain way because, you know, we know he's not your typical musician. You know, right. He's definitely not someone who, plays the piano until like the wee hours of the morning coming up with songs. So he definitely needs other people to help him with, with the music. You can definitely tell that this is not a um, Stephen Wilson. It, it's, it's weird. And, and you brought that up. I, I think um, it, it definitely has a different feel to it. And if you didn't have the people who wrote it, their names next to each song, you could really guess yeah. that this not a Stephen Wilson song. I, I want to read through the lyrics here because I find them to be fascinating for a couple of different reasons. There, there are a couple of different aspects of this that sort of prickle my brain. When you're down to the last skin and the limelight sputter, splutters to darkness in the death of a Zippo, at the backstage door, the last fan has long disappeared with a plastic bag stuffed full of memories. If only you'd signed them, if only to testify, if only to recognize that he existed, that for a moment he stood there, side by side in the gutter on the hard, cold shoulder of destiny. You say never again, this is the end, and it's all going to change. You're determined this time. Year after year, you pretend it's for real, and it's all going to change. You're determined this time. Well, happy birthday to me. When you're the worm in the bottle, you're the last one to leave and there's nowhere to go to. And the mini cab driver politely suggests you go home if you could only remember just where that's at, just where you've been, <laughs> just where it went wrong, you'll eventually find it. You say never again, this is the end and it's all gonna change. You're determined this time. Year after year, you pretend it's for real and it's all gonna change. You're determined this time. Well, happy birthday to me. When you're down to the end line and they're writing you up and writing you off and it feels just like an obituary, you feel that it's all over. You want to drive on down to the beach and just keep on swimming, but you're still treading water. You say never again, this is the end and it's all going to change. You're determined this time. Year after year, you pretend it's for real and it's all going to change. You're determined this time. Well, happy birthday to me. Happy birthday. Wow. Now, you know, that's that's a I, I think I think that's a pretty pretty harsh scenario that's painted in those lyrics. And two things that sort of leapt out at me. One is and again, we, we've talked about this with Fish before, even in the solo catalog, but the the first mention of Zippo, because we know our next album is going to be Rain Gods with Zippos which is funny. So there, there must have been some sort of Zippo connection at this point in Fish's life, and I'm not exactly sure what that is, but who doesn't love a good Zippo lighter? And, and the other thing, and I'm not in any way, shape, or form suggesting 
that this is is actually the case, but side by side in the gutter on the hard, cold shoulder of destiny. If you think about the two albums of Marillion's Happiness is the Road, so there are two two volumes of Happiness is the Road. One is called Essence, but volume two is called The Hard Shoulder. Now, it may very well be that it's just a some sort of UK phrase that, that means something. It struck me to see that, that phrase show up here. And again, I'm not suggesting that the Marillion title has anything to do with anything Fish is trying to say. It's just something that struck me. Take that for what it's worth. What I gather, Joe, is that Brain Gods with Zippos was supposed to be like a part two to this album. Really? And I don't know the specifics, but there was there's some sort of connection between the two. It's definitely short of any sort of concept album, but there was originally, I believe, and I don't want to misspeak, but there was originally, I think, talk of this being a double album. Oh, okay. And it ended up not becoming a double album, and then Zippos came out a couple of years later. So I think that's our connection. That's one okay. of the connections. Cool. There. I'll sort of try to find more information next week as we as we talk about that. But um, I always found that interesting because I do hear some commonality between the two in ways that I hadn't heard before. That'll give me something else to uh, another angle to listen to with, with Rain God. So that's great. Yeah. So now we get into Brother 52. Now, this is one of those songs, you know, love it or hate it, whatever the case may be. It's one of those songs. Well, yeah, I I love it too. It's one of those songs that kind of leaps out at you right away because there, there are some different aspects to it. So obviously, you know, the, a big part of this is the, the phone conversation with, with doc that runs throughout this song. And it seems that fish has crafted lyrics that tend to, augment that story a little bit or or stand parallel to it in a certain regard. You know, I, and, and again, I, I'm not exactly sure how I feel about a lot of this. If I take it at face value, I'm like, why are we giving voice to this? And what's what are we trying to get at here? But, you know, again, there there may be more to this that I don't know about. But again... I can sort of seek solace in the fact that much like Johnny Punter, this song musically is, is transformative. Um, you know, when you get the, that sort of very basic piano intro coming in and, and it starts with the, um, with the phone conversation, you're like, okay, well, this is, this is different. It, it sort of makes you take notice but when that nasty groove comes in with the bass, the drums, and the organ, you're like, whoa, what's <laughs> what's going on here? And, you know, here again, and, and my note here is the guitar tones on the chorus. And having seen Stephen Wilson before the pandemic um, and listened to his, his work, you know, Stephen Wilson has generally two approaches to his guitars, and and obviously there are shades in, in in this, but but he either has his super slick, amped up, humbucking PRS type approach, 
or he has his nasty, stanky, um, single-coil Telecaster-type approach. Here, this is the the overdriven humbucker kind of big, fat, meaty tone that I, I, I absolutely love. I think musically it's great. And and even while I, I may be intellectually conflicted about the story, I enjoy this song. I enjoy the the phone conversation. The guy, Doc, whatever you want to say about him, he's very charismatic. I, I don't think it's it's an accident that Fish chose this person to record this conversation with and make a song out of it. Whatever your perspective is, he comes across as a very engaging fellow and it, it fits in well with the feel, if you will, of the music or the, the feel of the music fits to the conversation. I'm not quite sure. I always thought that this was somewhat innocuous. I thought it was, it was a harmless story that he sort of parallels to you know, the story of Waco, Texas. And, and, and he was just telling a story of something that happened that was similar. I know in, in recent times with QAnon stuff, there's like a whole other level of this right. kind of stuff that we don't need to get into. But, you know, I think there are stories like this that have that have happened. And I think it was just an interesting way of Fish telling the story that, you know, he, he had heard and he was like, wow, this would make a really interesting song. And having Doc say it in his story form and then Fish singing it in in song form and putting an umbrella over it the way he did i think was really innovative and and i forget where it was and i made some comment to fish using the word tattoo or someone used the word tattoo and and i can never the the way fish sings the word tattoo in here and he sings it about a three dozen times it, it's just I, I don't know there's there's something naively entertaining about it to me like I, I fixate on it even though it's not it's not the high point uh, by any stretch and I don't really know why I'm so fixated on it but I cannot get away from the way that fish articulates the word tattoo it's just it sounds great and I think we can credit you know Stephen Wilson here because you know, this is one of his songs he co-wrote this is a very driving modern song and somehow with that gritty fish voice and that you're talking about when he says tattoo yeah that is just him at his best and when i hear some of his vocal sounds on here and that sort of gritty harshness that like i mean i know you hate the word angst but he <laughs> has like this anger that comes out and it's just so it's like a natural anger. It's not like, okay, I'm in a rock band. I got to be angry. Right. I'm so, angry. I'm such a rebel. A lot of that stuff is very cliche anger and rock music. It's sort of synonymous. When I hear him in some of these songs like brother 52, like what you're saying, when he sings tattoo, it's just, it just fits. It's like the glove fits. And I'm just like, it all make everything makes sense to me. Like, like life makes sense with these songs. This is how I always wanted to hear music. Can I read the my favorite line in this? Please do. Paint the words and the pictures on another man's skin. We are lovers, warriors, magician, kings. I just, oh, I, love I love that line. That. <laughs> oh, I, I say that all the time. <laughs> it's hard not to, isn't it? I, I, I quote that line. Oh, I mean. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't get better than that. 
So that takes us to the the title track, Tom. Sunsets on Empire. This is another Fish and Stephen Wilson collaboration. And I think, you know, this song is is interesting to me because it starts out fairly straightforward um, in terms of its of its sound and structure. But by the time you're done, you're in this to me, unexpected sort of Pink Floyd realm combining uh, something off Wish You Were Here and Great Gig in the Sky. And it's just like, how did I get here? I'm yeah. glad I'm here, but how did I get here? It, it's it's kind of amazing. It's so funny you say that, Joe, because my, when, in, in, in my notes, I say um, Sunsets on Empire and Say It With Flowers, I feel could have been off of the final cut. I think these are very final cutish. Yeah. I can picture Roger Waters singing like both these songs. Like Say it with flowers, absolutely. I had I hadn't thought of that, but but you're at, uh, yeah, that that is the way that Roger would would close out an album. 100%, I'm with you. Yeah, and it's nice that they didn't go balls out with production on these two songs. I, I like how they saw the true nature of these songs which were, you know, very quieter moments. They're not afraid to give us more of a, a, a minimalistic approach to a song. And even in the demo version of this, I have, you know, on iTunes, of course, they give you at the end of the album, they give you like a zillion other tracks. Right. And I, I do listen to a lot of these on the Fish albums. And even on the demo, I actually like some of the demo versions better because they're even scaled down even more. I don't mind the fact that Brother 52 sort of ends on the, the big rock moment. Right. And then we have a little breathing room because these songs are still, I'm sort of lumping these two songs in together. Sorry, but anyway, no, no, I, 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 I think it's, I think it's valid. Right. And, and it, it speaks to, you know, we, we've, we don't always talk about it, but sometimes when it's when it's noteworthy, we will talk about the tracking of an album. And, and again, for for me, like I said, once I get into this, I'm I'm in for the ride. And it starts out, you know, high, and then it kind of levels off, and then it goes high, and then it levels off, and then it, it goes high at Brother Fifty Two, and then but it these two these two tracks kind of bring you back down so you can kind of close out the album. It, it, it provides you that, that sense of closure that, you know, you've, you've landed somewhere. You're, you're not up in the air kind of left hanging, right? They, 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 it seems to be very purposefully gently put you back down where you, where you started off and say, enjoy, we'll be here next time you want to come back, which I think is a brilliant way to do it. You know, and, and again, you're absolutely right. You know, they've Fish and, and Stephen Wilson in this record have already demonstrated they have the ability to be bombastic. Paul claimed that What Color Is God is over the top. You know, they went too far. I totally disagree, but that was that was his point. At the same time, so we know that they can do that. We know that they're not afraid to do that. But here, you're absolutely right. They do not do that. And it serves the song, and I think it serves the album as a whole. It does. And at the end, I, I don't feel, sometimes even with good albums, I feel like, wow, they, they gave us a couple more songs than they probably should have. These two songs 
just just put the icing on the cake and just make you feel very very satisfied over the whole thing yeah and and it's interesting you know when you talk about these these two songs and and i'm going to sort of transition a little bit into say it with flowers but i mean am i am i wrong sunset sunsets on empire is is merely a song about a breakup right it's it's when someone or both people in the, in the relationship say you know what this has been fun but it's time to move on right am, am i missing that that's what i got out of it yeah and, and it's interesting to and and there's so there's a certain amount of emotion in that, right? And and I think that's where that that sort of end Pink Floyd segment with the with the vocals come in. You know, it it, it there's there's a feeling there. It's not it's not over the top, but there's there's something there. And then say it with flowers really strips it back. And if you if you read the lyrics to say it with flowers, you know it's 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 a slightly different perspective or a different situation. Um, in that here you have people who are trying to work it out. Now, I, you know, I don't know if this was meant to be sort of a narrative structure if they broke up on Sunset Empire and they came back together, or if it's just a completely different scenario where you have people who are, are trying to work through something. And, um, you know, they're, they're talking. And I, I love just the way it ends because, it, again, it, it reflects to me the musical feel that is conveyed. We've been talking for hours, so have we got somewhere? Can we say it's all worked out? It's all okay. Let's go to bed. I'm tired, to be honest. I just want to go to sleep. I'm tired. Let's talk about it in the morning. Let's talk about it in the morning. To be honest, I'm tired. I'm tired. And and so, and we've all been there, right? We, we, <laughs> we've all been in relationships. We've had those those conversations that never end, and it's like, Look, I'm just, I'm tired. And in those situations, what do you do? You go to bed, you go to sleep, you close your eyes and you wake up the next day. And and that to me, again, that's how this album kind of lands, right? You go through all of this. You're not really sure how far you got, but you need to sort of turn it off. I think that's the way they close out this album. And I think it's brilliant, honestly. And, and I say they, I keep, I keep giving, you know, maybe I'm giving Stephen too much credit. You know, this is a fish album. It's not a, it's not a fish Stephen Wilson album, but you know, I, 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 I just, and maybe I'm projecting, but I perceive Stephen's hands all over this in terms of how this comes together. But fish is no slouch in this, in this regard either. But regardless, this album, whoever is responsible, I think ends in a beautiful and perfectly um, appropriate way. The fact that he talks about how tired he is, again, this sort of half singing thing really works because he comes across as being tired, but you don't take it as boredom. No, like you right. just like you feel like, wow, he's he's really tired and he's you you're just put in a place where I think Fish wanted you to be put. Having a minimal vocal performance in this setting works very well. So awesome. So Tom, as we move into the second Cylon session of the night, I think this is an excellent time for us to, to close this out. Um, I've been excited for weeks to talk about this album and, and I, I really, really just, just love it. 
Uh, I think it's I think it's spectacular for a lot of different reasons. And I find that when Stephen Wilson is collaborating with with people, uh, people that I like, I find it to be an utterly enjoyable experience. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I think that's part of what makes this album so magical. But I do think, you know, again, in terms of, of the, the Fish catalog, I, I think this is, it, it's a fulcrum point because I do think, you know, whoever was responsible for capturing Fish's vocals here did a phenomenal job. I don't know that we've ever heard him sound better, and I don't know that we ever will hear him sound as good. Um, maybe, maybe you know, sporadically, but I think on this entire record, in terms of the way it is recorded and produced, is is sublime. I'll just say it. I think I think they made all the right choices. Like I said, I, I think there's there's a lot here, and I'm really curious now to go back and listen to Rain Gods with Zippos with the the potential understanding that you know it it there may be some some connectivity here so that will be fun and i i very much look forward to next episode when we get to talk about rain gods with zippos because i will say rain gods with zippos as many times as i can simply because it makes me laugh so rain gods with zippos next episode everyone but uh tom I want to thank you, obviously, for coming along, and our thanks to Paul for staying um, with us as long as he was able, and hopefully he's feeling better. Um, Expect to have him back, uh, hopefully, next episode as well. So, uh, Tom, I will thank you for your time this evening, and again, look forward to next episode when we talk about Rain Gods with Zippos. hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you, and we look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We are at ProgPala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or presumably wherever you do find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. You guys both freeze up what the heck i'm yes. getting my timeline screwed up okay so all right cut all that out because clearly i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about <laughs> <laughs>